Hi, I'm Rina. And I'm Arbaz. Twice a month, we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and changemakers. This show is for creative thinkers who have a passion for changing the world. In this episode, we discuss business and faith in the context of global economics with Dr. Brian Grimm. Dr. Grimm is the president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation and a leading expert on how faith and business build a better world. He is also the global chairman of the biannual Business and Interfaith Peace Awards and Symposium. Dr. Grimm recently served as chair of the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council on the Role of Faith and was a speaker at the forum's 2018 annual meeting in Davos, as well as being a TEDx speaker. Dr. Grimm also supports and works closely with the Business for Peace platform of the United Nations Global Compact. Dr. Grimm's recent widely reported research finds that religion contributes $1.2 trillion to the U.S. economy annually, more than the combined revenues of the top 10 tech U.S. companies, including Apple, Amazon, and Google. Prior to becoming the foundation's founding president in 2014, Dr. Grimm directed the largest social science effort to collect and analyze global data on religion at the Pew Research Center. He has appeared as an expert on global religion on numerous media outlets, including CNN, BBC, Fox, CBS, C-SPAN, and regularly presents to high-level audiences throughout the world, including the White House, State Department, European Parliament, the Vatican, and various United Nations bodies, including the Human Rights Council and the UN Alliance of Civilizations and the UN Global Compact. Myself, I'm a, I'm a practicing Muslim, and you know, a lot of the Muslim community they get involved in innovation and ideas uh, based off of you know their their spirituality, and they've they you know a lot of Muslims that go into business and and, and commerce and trade and things they're inspired by their faith and their own teachings. You know, a lot of the Muslim tradition comes from uh, has ideas of you know science and all these different thoughts about the world, and it gets you contemplating and figuring out you know. What does that mean in today's society? Uh, so I, I totally understand that. So what what incentive do you see for businesses uh, to engage that community? Because it's a really difficult space to be in. You know, a lot of times you don't want to talk about uh, religion uh, in in the business community. Well, a lot of companies are doing it. We're just releasing the first ever index called the Corporate Religious Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Index, or the Ready Index. Uh, and what we found is top companies like uh, Google, Intel, Tyson Foods, American Airlines, Target, store, Target Stores, um, Facebook, Apple, uh, American Airlines, I mentioned American Airlines, American Express, all of these companies have faith-oriented employee resource groups mm. uh, working in the company sponsored by the company. And what they found is that this is really important for three reasons. One, uh, for employee retention. Two, for employee recruitment. And three, for good customer and market relations. Um, Just to give an example, uh, and I won't name any companies, but one company that has these uh, faith employee uh, resource groups um, 
was reached out to by a top engineer in a tech company, another top tech company in Silicon Valley, uh, who uh, also Muslim like yourself, uh, wanted to pray on Fridays and he wasn't being accommodated. Mm. Um, the meetings were scheduled over top of, you know, when he would want to pray and, you know, they, they just didn't take that into account. And he talked to the other company and said, I hear that you uh, are accommodating. They said, we sure are. Uh, and, and, you know, very shortly after that, he took all of his, you know, expertise to that other company and he's working there now. So, you know, that's uh, one, the the first company couldn't retain him because they weren't, uh, they didn't take that important part of his life into account. And the other company could recruit him because they did. Uh, and then uh, in terms of business, um, the market, so uh, research we've done shows that uh, religious populations in the world are going to outgrow un- religiously unaffiliated populations by a factor of 23 by 2050. That means wow. that 23 times the growth of religious populations compared so to- Religious populations are continuously growing because you know the, the rhetoric out there and what's being told is that religion's on the decline. Yeah, well, it's nothing could be further from the truth globally. In the United States, States and in some Western countries, you know, there's there's trends of religious disaffiliation, um, but we're seeing in the workplace sort of a springing up of this these movements uh, uh, within the companies. And so I, you know, uh, I think a, a good hypothesis to test is whether or not religions not people aren't becoming less religious, but they're just shifting that religiosity because so many people spend so much of their lives in business today. Uh, and especially women. So, you know, a generation ago, most women stayed home and they're the ones that are most active in religion and faith congregations, uh, at least on the in Christianity in the United States. So now so many more men, women are at work um, and they have that same religious predilection. So that desire is there. Um, and so, you know, there's different factors where we're seeing this interest. And, and then it, you know, it, it's valuable to companies, not just for retention and recruitment, but in the marketplace. So um, Hinduism is one of the, uh, is the religious group expected to make the greatest gains economically. So we're going to see a lot more, um, especially uh, uh, Hindu or originated businesses coming into the global marketplace, primarily from India. So if you don't know something about Hinduism and you want to do business in India or other Hindu majority areas, you're really at a disadvantage. So there's a great, uh, you know, market incentive. That, and just to give some examples from Indonesia and Malaysia. Uh, some chocolate companies, Cadbury, weren't very careful about um, making sure their products didn't have any uh, products related to pork in it. So just small, mm-hmm. but then it led to some what they were called chocolate jihads, sort of uh, by the people running it, but they were saying, look, Mm. we can't have this kind of product in our country. And what a, you know, what a fiasco for um, a company just because they weren't taking into account how sensitive. Yeah, they didn't understand it. And, and, you know, if companies actually took that into account, they would have a huge market because, you know, as a Muslim, you know, in the Muslim community, you're always looking at the back of candy wrappers and other things, trying to see if there's gelatin in there, just to see if there's an ounce of pork or you know, if the drink that you has, you know, what percent of the alcohol is in there. So there's a lot of Muslims that are very conscious about those things. 
Yeah. Well, they, and that's, I mean, it's not it's Muslims, Hindus, they tend to be veg, pretty much vegetarian. They don't eat meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking at that. Jewish people as well. I was on the airplane with a, um, an observant uh, Jewish man just flying today, and uh, he was served a meal and it wasn't, they didn't have a kosher meal for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, he, you know, he didn't register that he needed a kosher meal because he was on the flight, just, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of notice. So they would have, but, um, you know, it's just there, you, if you don't have it on stock, you know, then you're, you know, a, a customer's thinking, well, you know, they're not, that airline wasn't very uh, accommodating to me. And, you know, that's not good for business. Yeah. 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 So what, what brought you to this world? Like, why did you get into this and, and what led you to uh, becoming someone who's interested in religious freedom and, and uh, these motivations and what, you know, what the business community needs? Well, I've been, I worked overseas since 1982, working in China, the predominantly the Muslim part of China, Xinjiang, where there's a lot of trouble today mm. with people being interred there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Soviet Union and Soviet Central Asia, and then also in the Middle East. So working in um, communist countries and Middle East countries where there's uh, there are different kinds and, and le- of restrictions on religion than we face in the United States, uh, it was always something that was you know, part of life because I'm, um, you know, I'm active. I'm an active Catholic and, uh, and I worked in Saudi Arabia and it was illegal to be Catholic. Uh, there. Yeah. And so, you know, these issues have always been part of my work life. And I, I'll just give you an example. When I worked in Saudi Arabia, I, I couldn't, you know, I counted the days, if not hours, till I could be done my contract because I, I couldn't practice my faith there. And I just felt so confined in my family. Uh, well, what part of Saudi Arabia were you in? In Riyadh. Oh, okay. So and this, was, this was when? Uh, this was in the 1990s. Uh, but then in the late 90s, I worked in the United Arab Emirates where my faith was not only legal, but encouraged. You know, the king uh, gave land for people to build churches and, and mm-hmm. other faiths. And my whole motivation was different. You know, in Saudi Arabia, I couldn't wait to leave. In the United Arab Emirates, I loved it. And and I, I was more innovative at work um, and uh, you know, more successful at work. So I think that that background, you know, both those backgrounds of having worked in restrictive environments, but then seeing the difference in my own work life, just in the same, you could say, plot of sand, you know, they were both yeah. majority countries. One uh, was, you know, highly restrictive. The other was, uh, you know, had a lot of relative freedom and that made such a difference. Uh, so I, you know, as I worked on that, then I worked on measures for religious freedom around the world. Um, did a, a doctorate uh, on that. And then me- when you measure it, then you can see, I could test whether or not what I felt in my personal experience played out in economies. And, and that's what I found, that where uh, you have more, uh, where, where people respect each other's faith and give them freedom to practice it, um, or not practice a faith if you don't want to have a faith, then that is uh, associated with more competitive economies. So in 10 of the 12 uh, measures of uh, glo- global competitiveness, countries with religious, uh, more religious freedom are stronger um, on those measures than countries that have low levels of religious freedom. So that, you know, those, that sort of data, personal experience, um, 
uh, personal work experience and life experience. That's what's really gotten me into this. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, just to even keep your employees happy in, in, in any company, you want to be accommodating of some of their you know, religious practice as much as you can be. Uh, and, it, and it's not just their religious practices. It's also whether or not they feel like they can bring their faith and their whole self to work, including their faith and all. Um, because even if okay, maybe we'll make accommodation, we have a halal, we make sure the cafeteria has halal food and kosher food. Um, and if that's all they do, and then, you know, they, they don't, you know, they, they want to, they don't want to let you um, be able to express yourself and, and, uh, you know, say, you know, uh, praise the Lord, you know, and they sort of outlaw yeah. that language. Then pretty soon, even though they've, sort of done the minimum, it, it, that's not enough. You know, in today's world, people uh, people's, uh, come to work and, and they want to know that they're appreciated for who they are. And it's it's more than just tokenism. So I think that that's what we're seeing in these companies that, are bec- that have these uh, employee resource groups that are based on faith, um, that they're saying, look, we, we, we don't just want you to you know, make sure you have the right kind of food that you want, but we want you to bring all of that inspiration that you have and encourage other people with it, share it. Um, and, and sort of the secret to making it work, uh, because in, you know, in regular society, the, the religion can be a divisive issue. Yeah. Uh, companies, they focus, they say, well, this, this is for, um, this is for the good of the company. So uh, that's what you're working for. You're not working to promote your, your particular brand of belief, uh, you know, let's not bring the dogma and, and that into this or proselytization, but um, let's let's focus on celebrating, on um, on supporting one another, understanding one another, um, and uh, so the companies that have done this uh, carefully, uh, it's not something you just want to do haphazardly. They've found that these groups build strong and better relationships with all the other groups. And the study we have coming out um, shows that where you have faith employee groups, then you have more um, outreach and support for all the other diversity categories, uh, including LGBT, race, uh, gender, and so forth. So in your settings, I mean, you've spoken a lot of forums and, you know, you've spoken at the World uh, Affairs Council in Davos, correct? The World Economic Forum? World, world, yeah, World yeah. Economic Forum. Yeah. How was, how were the, how was the conversation there and, and what did you present? <laughs> well, we have, uh, I've been there several times and ha- have in different kinds of forums that they organize. And so one of the, uh, I'll give you two examples. One is that, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada requested a meeting to be briefed uh, on what some of the NGOs, including really the faith NGOs, were doing and and how they would respond to some of the policies he was having. So in that kind of setting, you can get world leaders wanting to have input. And so we were able to do that. Um, But one, the the experience that impacted me the most uh, was at the end of Davos. It always ends on a Friday, uh, and there's a Shabbat dinner. So the breaking of you know breaking of the bread, the beginning of the Sabbath for for Jews, um, they have that at the end, and it was started by former um, Prime Minister Shimon Peres. 
uh, years ago. He's uh, no longer alive. But um, and so at that dinner, they invited I'm not Jewish, but they invited various people to come. And at the dinner, uh, they they said, you know, we're going to try something different this year. You know, all of, you know, Jews are known for being very talkative. We could talk for hours, you know, on any story. But I want to invite each of you to come up here, whoever wants. And in one minute, just tell tell the crowd here. And it was like 150 or 200 people, many of them, you know, multimillionaire, billionaire types. Tell us how your faith interacted with what you experienced at Davos this week. And, and it was astounding, the, just the, the, the things people shared. And one thing, one guy from Israel shared, he said, well, I turned 80 a few years ago, and I want to tell you what I gave myself for my 80th birthday. You know, I wanted to really celebrate. So I, 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 I chartered an airplane, and I flew to Ethiopia, and I took with me, you know, a whole team of doctors and medical staff to a village in Ethiopia that where there was a lot of eye problems and bl- unnecessary blindness. And, and I spent my 80th birthday uh, caring for those people. Um, and he said, you know, that's, you know, that's the, that's the spirit of what can be done with our faith. And, you know, I'm just inspired by what's, what the p- potential is of the people in this room. And, you know, what a, what a beautiful testimony. Mm-hmm. So that's not something that's a public event. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's sort of after Davos ends, it's sort of a side event uh, that I was fortunate to be able to go to. And it, it captured how much uh, faith is underneath that you don't see, you know, they don't broadcast this. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't know. These are people's personal motivations and feelings. Yeah. Uh, and it's the relationship with God. Um, how do you, how do people present these ideas? You know, how did that initiative start within the space of Davos? If someone was to be at Davos next year or in any other forum, how would you suggest that they introduce their faith or introduce the idea that their faith would be uh, beneficial, not only from, you know, keeping their employees happy, but from a business perspective, economic perspective, and, and, and just doing the right thing also? Well, I, I'll say two things. One, first, it has to be authentic. You know, you don't just think up, okay, I'm going to go talk about religion and you know get my point across. So, you know, it has to it, it has to really matter. So we, mm-hmm. you don't want to manufacture something. But uh, just in terms of forums, uh, on February 13th and 14th in Washington D.C. at the Bush School of Business uh, at Catholic University, we're having the first ever national conference for faith-oriented employee resource groups. And we've got companies, uh, American Airlines is sponsor, is partnering with us to sponsor it. Tyson Food, which is uh, the largest meat producer in America, is, is uh, one of our sponsors. And we have participants from Salesforce. A keynote speaker is the head of their faith force, which is their mm-hmm. fast-growing employee group ever. Um, and you know, a lot of name-brand companies are coming to this. Uh, to share their experiences. So I think uh, it has it has to be something, like I began with saying, it has to be something authentic. And the, this is something really happening in companies. And and now for the first time, the companies are going to come together uh, with, with um, under the sponsorship of our foundation, uh, the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation, uh, to talk about this. So I think that's how it has to come up at, uh, at any forum. You have to say, well, 
you know, what's really the business case here? Why, you know, why would we want to talk about this? And and there are real reasons to talk about it. Uh, so not force it, but uh, I think some of this organic, organic um, ac- activity within companies is something that's going to start coming up more. So in these spaces, what, what are some challenges have you seen? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges is that people are afraid to, uh, as they say, let the camel's nose inside the tent, if you know that expression. Mm. Um, so once the camel gets his nose in, the whole thing, you know, the whole camel comes in. Um, and they're afraid to open the door to religion. They're afraid of, they don't know what's going to happen. And that's a reasonable fear within the within any organization or business. Um, but there's so much good. There's so many good examples. Like Texas Instruments has been doing this for 20 years, as has um, American Airlines. And um, and so what they found is, you know, with those basic ground rules, this isn't about proselytization. It's not about dogma where you're excluding people who don't think like you do, but it's open to everyone. Um and and that it's uh, everybody has the opportunity. You know, it's not just for a Christian group or a Muslim group, but you know, everyone can have this opportunity. Um, then that overcomes those challenges. So I, I think that uh, you know, there's just some one fear of not knowing what could happen, uh, and I think always the best way um, to overcome those kind of fears is is by showing best practices of companies that are already doing this successfully. Hmm. That's a good point. So what is your, uh, what does your average day look like in this space? Um, well, it gets, uh, sort of chunked up into different things. Uh, one is I'm continually working on different research projects. So like the index, the corporate religious equity, diversity and inclusion index, uh, which is an ongoing project where we'll see how you could say faith-friendly the Fortune 500 companies are. Um, so that's one thing that keeps me busy. Another is um, is conversations, meetings with people in business that are working in this space. Uh, also working with media. Um, there'll be a report coming out uh, on um, in Fox Business News on this new index. So we did some filming on that. I did an interview just yesterday uh, in New York um, with several publications, including uh, one on the Catholic Channel, Cardinal Dolan. He's the Archbishop of New York. Um, so, you know, some of it's communicate. You could say it sort of falls into communications, uh, sharing this, uh, working with companies. Uh, some of it's training, giving seminars within companies um, and research. So the, that's sort of uh, there's. Some days it's just one thing. Some days I've hit all a lot of things going on. Uh, who are some of the, you know, how do you go about collecting this information and recognizing what are the needs of different religious spaces? Are there religious researchers you look at, scholars? Who are some of the thinkers that uh, that you looked up to or even consult with on, you know, the idea of religious freedom and then, you know, what does it look like within the Jewish context, within the Muslim context? Because that's a lot of different you know, a lot of different spaces that you have to be in. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that is one challenge is that religious freedom doesn't always communicate uh, to everyone the same. Some people think it's a political issue. Some people think it's, uh, you know, something, an agenda of one group 
to make their religion the the most powerful one. Um, so part of part of working in this space is to uh, first establish what it means. And one of the foundational documents on religious freedom that helps define that is the UN uh, Declaration of Human Rights that came out of after World War II. And Article 18 there uh, says, in short, it says that every everyone has the right to um, have a faith or change their faith, uh, teach it to their children, practice it alone or in community with others. Um, and so that's that's sort of the the basis of religious freedom. So it it's both an individual right, but also a collective. That, mm. Uh, so if you know if you're uh, a believer and you can't get together with other believers, then that's not really religious freedom. And then it's also the the manifestation of that in teaching. So um, you know every every faith group, just like any philosophy, uh, has a perspective on the world that uh, that they think is is helpful. So religious freedom also includes that the ability to um, yeah in the public sphere in a fair way. Um, you know, argue your case. Uh, so that, yeah. so that, that's uh, what, uh, you know, a lot of research and, and others who work in this space have, uh, have consensus on. So that's, uh, you know, sort of looking to international norms and also the laws of the land. So in the United States, of course, we have the First Amendment to the Constitution that, uh, that the, there should be no es- establishment of religion, but also it guards the free practice of religion. So, so then the, the government doesn't take a, um, you know, uh, say, well, we choose this one above the others, uh, not establishing one above the rest, but at the same time saying, but we fully embrace a uh, you know, robust freedom for people to practice their faith. So those, you know, those are some of the important beginning points. Uh, but really, no one had measured religious freedom in the way that that uh, that uh, that I started to do when I was at the Pew Research Center mm-hmm. um, and developed annual measures of religious freedom. So that's something new that's come on to to the scene. And even for people who don't care about religion. Uh, when you can see data showing the trends and how it relates to other things like the economy, um, then you can say, well, okay, uh, I can I can see what is an issue and why it's important. Have you been in any spaces where, you know, you've consulted with a company or, you know, some initiative that you've, you know, watched grow over the past few years and you're like, this is the impact that it's made and you've tracked it all and said, look, this is, this is amazing. You know, I, five years ago, uh, you were in the space, you were able to consult and, and change some of the policies and, you know, the way the company operates. And then, you know, you look back to five years, it's completely transformed the way that, you know, it's functioning now. Well, I actually think we're at a tipping point right now because um, this uh, this new study that we've just come out with is the first time anybody has ever brought public attention to what's going on within companies. Uh, some of it's been developing over 20 years, like I mentioned, American Airlines, Texas Instruments, and some of it's relatively brand new, like at Salesforce, where they have their fastest growing group, Faithforce. Um, and then other companies that uh, you would think would have had this these sort of faith employee groups um, are, are not just, you would think they had them, but they didn't like Walmart. So they've just begun for the first time, these faith oriented groups, employee groups. Um, and so, you know, I think we're really seeing 
when you have the largest employer in America now enter the space, uh, that we're going to see that this is now, um, if I could say, becoming normal. <laughs> that uh, you know that having a positive way to um, to to em- sort of embrace the the faith side of people. Uh, is going to become a new normal in the United States. So there'll, there'll still be some challenges, but I, I think uh, it's it's going to re- we're going to see some positive developments. Um, and and it's not I'm not trying to argue that um, people with faith, uh, you know, that they should get preference over people without. Absolutely not. But it's it's all part of this um, this I think very productive movement to um, have companies focus not just on um, you know, making money, which they have to do or they fail, but also how they do it and, and, and uh, encouraging their employees to uh, develop to their fullest potential. Uh, so I think that, you know, we're going to see this continue to grow in, in, the, in the next five years. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Grimm, for your, uh, your, your, your research and all the work that you're doing in this space. I personally think it's, you know, it's revolutionary, it's impactful, for me, I'm constantly, you know, being in the work work environment, uh, I'm constantly negotiating these ideas and trying to figure out, you know, how can my faith be accommodated in the space? You know, any any company I go to or any place I work, I automatically have to figure out, you know, how am I going to pray five times a day? You know, that's a lot. You have meetings, you have breaks or traveling, you know, find, finding a way to accommodate just that is, is, uh, is always a struggle. Uh, but then also, you know, Friday prayers, another aspect. And yeah. I can only feel that a lot of other people of other faiths have their own practice and rituals and, and, and different things they're trying to institute. And uh, I think this um, this is very interesting and, and it's innovative uh, in its approach. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're free or you want to help spread the word about our conference on February 13th and 14th in Washington, D.C., for anyone that's interested in this topic, uh, it'd be a great chance to come and, and hear what, what's going on in corporate America uh, as it comes to faith-oriented employee resource groups. Yeah, that sounds good. And I'm going to try to make it out there. I think that's really interesting to me. Uh, and, um, you know, I continue to wish you the best on your research and, uh, and, and we'll continue to follow your work. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening. And follow us on social media and subscribe to our channels. 